0: Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: There is a judgment greater than Anything you've ever known And it won't be long Is the only shelter from the coming storm.
2: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I have a confession to make. I've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ for now over 50 years in Washington, D.C., the greater Washington area. And I must confess that during those 50 years, I have been completely unable to help God's people make the transition from an emotional intellectual gospel to the real gospel of jesus christ that's lived out and walked out like jesus day by day oh there have been many people who have had some startling results a few whose lives have been totally transformed and changed and i praise god for those few but they have been few What seems to happen is that we preachers come and speak the very best word we can speak with with an utmost honesty before God, and it's ohum, oh another sermon, interesting story, interesting concept. And then most of the people go out and continue to watch their television, continue to go after their money, continue to seek their life in this world and not the life of Jesus Christ. Most have no conviction that twists the deep inner part of their soul that says, I have to get right with Jesus. I can't do this anymore. There is almost a total lack of conviction in the heart. And if you preach strong words, then people begin to say, that preacher is just doom and gloom. My father in the faith was constantly faced with that. He was being told that he was preaching doom and gloom. David Wilkerson at Times Square Church in New York City. I've sat with him many times in his study, praying together and saying, Brother Ray, I don't know how to break through for God's people. All they want is intellectual information and encouragement and a little sentimentality. But they don't want to change and leave their sin. I agree, that's what I've also found. And I know the fault. I can't put it on God's people. I have to recognize that somehow I have not been able to do what must be done. And I am earnestly crying out to God that he would change that on this broadcast. A man can spend his entire life preaching the gospel, wear himself out and be at the point of death and not have accomplished a thing. Many pastors just kind of give up, and they used to. They don't so much now. They find Internet stuff to share, but but they used to just go to the Reader's Digest and tell a story out of the Reader's Digest, and the people didn't seem to even notice that it came from the Reader's Digest. They sat in their normal death mode, stoic, unresponsive, Oh, bring in the praise and worship music, and we can dance and shout and sing. Or the preacher can do an interesting sermon, making strong points and saying, yes, and everybody claps and says, yes, 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 pastor, we agree with you. But it means nothing when they walk out. They're going to be the same as they've always been. Sentimental Christians with a lot of head information but not walking like Jesus. This has to change. It has to change. I have to change. So, I'm going to say some things to you that probably will seem uncomfortable I make no apology. You chose to come and listen. I'm grateful you did. I want to speak today to people who are earnest about discovering their own condition before a holy God and entering into deep repentance And I know immediately some of you will say, Pastor, I already repented. I don't need to repent. If you don't have the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to repent. You need to repent. Jesus told a parable. It was about the kingdom of heaven. It was about a man who went out into his field and sowed good seed and then while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed tares or darnel among the wheat, and then he went away. And when the wheat sprouted and, and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where'd the weeds come from? This is Matthew, the 13th chapter, verse 28. And he said, An enemy did this. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll harvest and first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Please understand, Jesus is talking about people. He's really not talking about wheat and tares. He's talking about people. And he's talking about people in the church. Well, when they were by themselves, they came to Jesus and they said, Would you explain that parable of the of the tares to us? He said, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. This is verse 37, Matthew 13, 37. The field is the world, the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil or all who do wickedness. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He has ears, let him hear. Well, what is this weeping and gnashing of teeth? Through scripture, the gnashing of teeth is usually the anger of the person who is being confronted. The weeping is because of total lack of control. The day is coming when you will have no longer any control about your future. You will be conscious. You will be alert. You will be aware. And when you recognize that you are being treated as a tear by the Lord Jesus and you are being bundled together with other wicked men and women, the scriptures say you will be very, very angry. And you will weep because you have no ability to change the course of what is about to happen. And what's about to happen is you're about to be thrown into a fiery furnace and you will be conscious as you're cast into that fiery furnace you will be aware that you are being cast into hell and you will be bitterly angry about that now the other option is that you be serious with Jesus now and you become wheat I want to share today a a portion of a book. It's a favorite book of mine. It's a Logos classic, Remarkable Miracles by C.G. Bevington. He wrote this about his experiences sometime in the early 1920s. He has been invited by a a Methodist church, to come and preach a series of meetings for them. He preaches three times, and the pastor says, we can't have that kind of preaching here, and he cancels the meetings. And the people say, well, let's let's go over to the schoolhouse. So they go to the schoolhouse, but because some guys have gone in and are destroying the seats so they can't hold the meeting, the school board kicks them out, And finally, they go to a home, and it's in this home that we pick up the story. He writes, I exhorted him and the rest to pray. This is the pastor's son. But he said, there's no one here who can do any good at prayer you've spoiled all of us. The only prayer that any of us ought to pray is the prayer of repentance. I thought he was about right. So I got up and said, brethren, this great battle must be fought out on our faces. I have no message to preach. You've had too much preaching I have only a burden of prayer that each of you may be brought face to face with the real condition as God sees you. I beg you, fly for your lives to the Son of God, who has made provision for your complete deliverance from sin. So the lying preachers today say, no, once saved, always saved. They say, Jesus did it all at the cross. He forgave your past, present, and future sin. And some of those wicked pastors are even so deceived that they're saying, you can take the mark of the beast as a Christian because you've already been forgiven for that sin. If you know the scriptures at all, you know that's a lie. You know that all sin must be removed from your life. And you say, oh, pastor... Nobody can be perfect. We can't leave our sin. Oh, that's what Jesus said. Leave your sin. Stop sinning. The church today is filled with lie layered upon lie in order to afford the building of a worldly organization that will honor that pastor and make him a god and who will give him a great salary. Church today in America has become big business and extremely ungodly. After that, this evangelist crawled out of the window nearest me because he couldn't get out through the door. There were too many people in the house. And he made a beeline for where he was staying. Well, where was he staying? It wasn't over at the at the local hotel. Now he had, he had found a great stack of straw, and he would pulled straw out and made a den in that about two feet off the ground so he could stay warm. It was 20 degrees below zero. This is hard times, and I'm telling you now, hard times are coming again to America, and some of us are going to be very, very cold if we've not made Preparation. He writes, I lay on my face to plead and weep and moan and groan and wrestle all night. When I finally struck a match, I found that it was 5.30 a.m. I fell asleep until late that afternoon. Then I crawled out and took a wash in the snow. It was freezing and went back to the house where I found 75 people. More than 20 were down praying as if they really meant business, some on their faces crying, others kneeling and praying, others with heads up pleading and weeping, and others walking where they could find room. Some of you have heard the story of Severnola, the the wonderful monk Of the Catholic Church, who was the first to bring revival before the Reformation. He would be so enthralled in his prayer that it might be an hour or two or three hours before he would finally preach to a standing congregation in an ice cold church as they waited for their pastor, their priest to stand up and speak some word of god to them they were that hungry how long would you wait if the pastor were just sitting his face alight with the presence of god how long would you wait before you walked out of the church i'm guessing 15 20 minutes that's america would you wait an hour two hours, three hours, particularly if there was no heat in the church and you had to stand up the whole time. Back to the book, all that crowd pleading for mercy, mind you, were those quote unquote saved people from the church. Among them were the son and daughter of the pastor. I raised the window and crawled back There was no room to get in at the door. I again climbed up the ladder into the attic. I got on my face across those joists close to the warm chimney as a rousing fire was now burning below. And after a while, the man of the house crawled up the ladder and said, It's after eight o'clock. They all want you to come down and preach. This is eight o'clock in the evening. Tell them to all go on praying, I said. Well, I'm afraid they'll get tired of this and leave and not return, and then all the work here will be lost. Here was more logic to contend with, but I remained where I was. I could hear them praying and singing. At about 10 p.m., I went down and found about 40 people in real soul agony. These included the pastor's son and daughter, both of whom had been testifying to being saved for several years. I could see God was working, and I knew how foolish it would be for me to try to take the work out of his hands. I want to stop. Have you ever been in soul agony before God? Do you know what he's talking about? Most of you, if you get down on your face before God, you're not going to know how to pray. You'll say some little ditty prayer, some pretty words, but most, most don't even know how to pray. And they don't know what to repent for. Do you? Where I begin in the past, where I've begun, saying, Lord, I don't know where to even begin. Totally honest with God. I don't know what to pray about. I'm just... I know I need to break through. I know my heart is cold and hard and I know I don't have that intimacy with you. I know I'm lukewarm. I know something is wrong in my walk with you, but I don't know what it is and I don't know how to get it right. Would you please come and show me? Well, that's a great place to start prayer. And then... Begin to deal honestly with your heart before a holy God and ask, what do you want from me, God? And then not get up and walk away, but stay there and continue to pray and cry out and ask for an answer until that answer comes. And it may not come in 10 minutes. I remember the first time I did this I determined in my heart that I would pray for one hour. I prayed for 10 minutes and said everything I had to say, and so I said it all again. It was still a long ways from an hour, so I said it all over again. And then finally, I had to begin to get honest and serious with Jesus. And I had to cry out. And that began a time in my life of agonizing before God, not just for an hour, but for two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten hours a day, crying out to God. And finally, after a year of that, I'd been transformed. And then God spoke to me audibly and answered my prayer. And I have since that time consistently gone before the Lord and sought his face. He said to his disciples, could you not even pray an hour? Could you not even watch an hour? Real prayer doesn't start until after the first hour. That's just clearing away the garbage. And some of you, it's going to take more than an hour. It's going to take several days of praying before you get through the garbage so that you can finally get honest with a holy God and begin to deal honestly with the soul condition of your heart. Please, I can tell you, if you don't begin to deal honestly with God about your soul condition, if you don't begin to take actions according to what you are told in the prayer closet, you will on that great day be exceedingly angry with God. And you will be cast into the fire of hell. I wish there were an easy way to do this and say this, but I can tell you that there is no revival without prayer. And there is no revival without repentance and agonizing before God. Over your own hardness and your own bitterness and your own wickedness. People say to me, "Oh, Pastor, I don't even know what to pray for. Oh, the Holy Spirit knows what to pray for and he's going to have to come and begin to pray through you. That's what Paul said to the church at Rome, 8th chapter. It is exceedingly difficult for an American to be saved. I have said many times, I suspect not many Americans will be in heaven. How can I say that? Because we're consumed with our gidgets and gadgets We're consumed with our entertainment. We're consumed with our money. We worship at the idol of stuff. We love entertainment. One person who comes to church on occasion cannot stand to not have that phone constantly in their hand, looking at things and checking things and not listening to the sermon because it's too painful for them. Their heart is so shallow. It hurts to come out into the light, to leave the darkness and enter the light. And yet God is calling his people today out of the darkness and into the light so that what they do can be revealed, that your habits, that your actions, that your ways can be revealed before an awesome and holy God. And if this doesn't happen in your life, you will be the the tear that is bundled and cast into the fire. Now I hear another thing. Pastor, what we need is just to know that God loves us. And we need words of encouragement. Well, I'm not going to offer you words of encouragement. I'm going to offer you words of straight-up reality that say, no, you don't need to be there, there. Everything will be good because it won't be. They're lying to you. You've got to get to God. You don't need encouragement. If you get to God and, and you begin to repent and you leave your sin. The presence of the Holy Spirit will come in power into your life, and you will begin to shout and rejoice. You'll be dancing in the power of the Spirit because the joy is so great. You don't need encouragement while you're in your wickedness. You need a good kick in the behind and say, Come on, get real, go after God. This preacher is not going to comfort you in your sin. If I comfort you in your sin, I'm responsible for you before Almighty God and your blood will be on my hands and I don't want your blood on my hands. I want you to come clean with God. I want you to spend the time. I want you to stop playing any kind of game. I want you to get to Jesus and by the power of the Spirit be made clean by the blood. He writes, I raised the window and slipped back out into my private quarters to plead with God for them. I got back on my face and struggled and agonized and wrestled and wept and held on expecting God to work wonders. I struck a match and found it was 6 a.m. I rolled over and slept the whole day again. I had another good wash in the snow shook myself and started for the meeting. I found about 200 people there, most of them in great misery. One man and his wife met me outside and begged, telling me their troubles with their bad neighbors. I said, go inside, get down on your face and plead for mercy. Throw open your hearts to God. Get honest before him and let him examine you. And they did so. Another came to me saying, What shall I do? I said, Get right with God. Why, I'm a good member here in this church. I repeated it again. Get right with God. Repent. Get yourself properly fixed up. Two sisters were the next to unload the terrible meanness of their neighbors saying, We want you to pray for them as they're a terror to the whole neighborhood. You too are the ones who need praying for. Never mind those neighbors. Get right yourselves. Go through with God. Shocked, they informed me, why, Mr. Bevington, we're members in good standing in this church. Well, you're all the worse for that. We want to get our children saved, my son and daughter-in-law and daughter and son-in-law. Then get in there and get down on your face and deal with God directly, not with Bevington. Oh, there's no room inside. I could hardly believe their excuses. Make room then. Go into the kitchen if you have to, I told them. The kitchen is crammed full. I said loudly, go in, go in, go in. I left those self-righteous complainers and went to my window, crawled in and went up to the attic. Only a few saw me. But soon the man of the house came and said, "'About three hundred people are here.' I finally went down and found many on their knees pleading. The man's son was crying as he said, "'Oh, won't you preach? "'I'm so miserable, and I need help. "'Please tell me what to do. "'My sister's weeping, too, as if her heart were broken.' There was only room to stand at the ladder, so there I began my text. Prepare to meet thy God. I believe that never before nor since have I delivered such a a message as was given during the next 40 minutes. Everyone was in great agony, some walking, some screaming. Only about 60 could kneel, but they were doing good work, and oh, how God did send the lightning bolts in great torment feeling I'd done all God wanted me to do there. I hoisted the window up and made for my accommodation in the straight, in the straw stack. I crawled in, got on my face, and could do nothing but cry and groan and plead all night long. And then I slept again until evening. After taking another snow bath, I started back to the house and found about 60 people there. I stopped and stood at the ladder. As I waited there, the pastor came in. He began to lash me with his tongue calling me all the names in the catalog, but I was somewhat accustomed to such vocal expressions, so they did not disturb me. I just remained speechless through it all. He finally wound up by ordering every one of his members out of the house with the command never to return. They all arose and followed him out except his son, the man and the the family of the house, one other man and his family. About 16 people were left out of more than 300. Suddenly I felt like preaching, and so I did on the judgment and wrath of God. The son and the man of the house and his wife and the other man prayed through by early morning. We had a blessed time, and that son did some wonderful preaching. What's he talking about? He's talking about when you finally come to a place with Jesus where all of the sin has been dealt with, where you have prayed through until Jesus has come and assured you that you are clean before him, that there's no longer any sin to be dealt with, and he comes with his Holy Spirit, and he speaks to your heart. And then joy breaks out. He says that night he felt led to remain all night with them. So he prayed until 3 a.m., and then he went upstairs The woman of the house came up and said, I think I'm going to throw all of the blocks out and clean the whole thing up. I'm convinced I'm all right. The pastor says I'm all right because I'm a member here for years. You are just making fools out of all of us, my husband, son, and daughter. I said, woman, Get down those steps as quickly as you can and start yelling for mercy or you may be in hell within 20 minutes. With a look of real shock on her face, back down she went with me right behind her. I tell you, she changed her tune and in 40 minutes she struck fire. She did some fine preaching that night and then I slipped off back to my to my headquarters they've been at this now at this church for eight days straight very early that morning the pastor's daughter got through and in the evening she said brother bevington i've disobeyed my father for the first time in my life i had to come here as i feared i would lose my soul please pray i may be willing and able to endure my punishment she well knew the temper of her father. I said, all right, I'll go up into the attic and I'll plead your case. You be loyal to what you have received. So up I went. She and her brother had about a mile to walk home. He was seeking sanctification, but as he had a whole lot to undo, it was a somewhat tedious matter. I was pleading that the experience of the two would so melt the father he would be compelled to surrender. Finally, I felt the burden gone, light was breaking in, and I raised up off the sleepers, praising God for the daughter's victory, and I went back to the straw stack, this being now the ninth morning. I had not yet had a mouthful to eat, or lain on anything except straw and joists. When I returned that night, the man of the house met me outside and said, "'Brother Bevington, where are you staying?' I said, "'Sorry, it's not any of your business. "'Now see, here it is my business. I'm going to make it so. "'I went today to the Reynolds, where I supposed you were stopping, "'and they said you were not there. "'I went to all the places where you would have any likelihood of being, "'and none of them knew where you were stopping. "'Now tell me, where are you staying?' I repeated, "'None of your business.' go in there and pray through and get to the Holy Ghost. No, sir, I'm not going in there until you tell me. So I just pointed in the direction of the straw stack. Wife, this man has been sleeping and staying in that straw stack. He was very upset. Where have you been getting your meals? he asked. Next, I just pointed to the sky. He called to his wife. This man hasn't had a mouthful to eat in two weeks. He was exaggerating by three days. Come in and get something to eat, he said. But I declined. As I was listening to his quizzing, here came the pastor, wild-eyed and bareheaded, speeding through the snow in his cutter. His son and daughter were with him, and the sleigh bells were ringing like crazy. He was being sifted. The son and the daughter had arrived home and gone into the room where he was sleeping, believing his daughter to be upstairs in her bed. She just called out to him and said, Father, I disobeyed you last night. I just had to go back up there or go to hell. Now, Father, I'm ready and prepared for my punishment. The son was standing at her side with his head bowed, pleading for the salvation of his father and that this situation would be the means to the end. "'Go to bed and let me alone,' the father demanded. "'No, father, I want my punishment. "'I disobeyed you, and I'm ready.' "'At that he gave a yell and bounded out of bed "'and fell on his knees and began to cry for mercy. "'The son and daughter dropped on their faces, "'and in ten minutes their mother climbed out of bed beside them, "'and she cried, O children, pray for me too.' I need what you both have. So they wrestled in prayer until the following afternoon when the mother prayed through. The father did not get through. He asked us back to the church that night, but as both rooms were full, for many had heard of the pastor's actions and had come back. He held the meeting in our we held the meeting in our usual place. I preached on the text If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. And God gave me a blessed message. The mother prayed through early the next morning, but the father still did not get through. As soon as it was daylight, he hitched up and went to every one of those men and women whom he called out of there and asked their forgiveness. It took him three days to make the circuit, but he did it. He said that at the first house he went to, he asked forgiveness and invited the people out to the meetings. They closed the door and he started to leave when a voice said, And is that all? He looked around and saw no one near him. Not being used to the voice of God, he was quite puzzled. By the time he reached the gate, he heard the same voice again with the same words. He said he had to go back and fall on his knees before those people. And really ask their forgiveness. And he gladly knelt and asked forgiveness of all the 300 people. Now, I'm not going to continue. I want you to understand. If you want Jesus, it's not going to be quick because you've been walking numb and unconscious for years you've been walking in a form of godliness without any power you've been entertained you've been told you're a member in good standing and you've been encouraged and and told about God's wonderful, wonderful love for you yes, he does love you but forget about it for now You've got work to do. You've got to get to God. And things have to be set right in your heart and in your life. Are you prepared to do that? If you're not crying out, for your own salvation in your own life because you have in fact prayed through and are filled, then will you pray for others? Will you pray for your family? Will you spend a night in prayer? What are you willing to do to walk in the fullness of Jesus, to be filled by his Holy Spirit? We are coming to a time of great separation. I read about that separation a moment ago, but but let me read it again. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake. This is Matthew 13, verse 47. And caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore and then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, where people are going to be bitterly angry because they suddenly discover... That their religion had no value before Jesus, that it was just a sentimental self improvement sham. See, we're going to be judged by what we've done, not by what we say, not because we say, oh, I have grace covering me, or I have imputed righteousness, and and Jesus looks at me, he doesn't see me, he just sees himself. These are all lies. It's not what the scriptures say. Now, you can search the scriptures for yourself. I suggest you begin with First John and carefully read the entire book in one setting. Or read Revelation, the messages to the churches. In every one of those churches, the message is the same. You must overcome. But what must you overcome, your sin, yourself, your wickedness? You will not be allowed to participate in the kingdom of God if you are not an overcomer. And overcoming comes by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is not white-knuckling, it's not self-help. It is surrender to Jesus. It is fully giving myself into the hands of Jesus Christ and allowing him to control. But see, you let your job control you. You let money control you. You let your entertainment control you. You want to sit back and relax with a beer and watch the games. You you don't want Jesus. The great separation is coming. And you will be separated out. And when you discover you're bundled together with other wicked men and women, you're going to be enraged with gnashing of teeth. And you're going to be weeping because your fate is sealed and you can't change what's going to happen. And you're going to be picked up by powerful beings called angels. And they're going to hoist you into the fiery furnace, into hell. I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to come to your senses now. I want you to be separated out to Jesus. If you're not separated out to Jesus, you will be separated out to the devil. And the devil and his angels will be cast into the fiery furnace. The beast the image to the beast, the Antichrist, they will all be cast into the fires of hell. And you will go with them to that place if you don't make serious changes to the way you think, the way you act, what your preferences are, Whether or not you are a part of the body of Jesus Christ. Whether you search the scriptures or whether you search after the ball games. And the entertainment. And the YouTube videos. And the cell phone. And Twitter. And Instagram. And on and on. YouTube. YouTube. What is the cry of your heart? What do you really want? Be honest with me, please, right now. Stop what you're doing. Will you be honest with me? What is it you really want? Do you want heaven and eternity with Jesus? Or do you want to be bound together with other wicked men and women and cast into the fire of hell? You get to choose now. The separation is not yet. It's coming, though, for you. I've lived long enough to have seen many of my precious friends die in the total bondage of wickedness. I've watched as many pastors have built their great churches and then die of a heart attack in their pulpits, preaching foolishness, preaching darkness, preaching humanism, preaching entertainment as they are bound together and cast into the fire of hell. You get to choose. Please, don't be mad at me. I'm just the messenger. I have to be honest with you, or your life, blood, will be on my hands if you are cast into hell. So, what are you going to do? Cold-blooded, straight up, are you going to begin to read the scriptures and search after Jesus with all of your heart? Are you going to go before him and honestly begin to deal with the heart condition, the coldness and lukewarmness of your heart? We are shaped by what we read, what we see, and what we do. Now, how are you shaped? Are you shaped for heaven or for hell? I want to thank some very precious people. Chris, Tom, Tom and Brenda from up Michigan Way. Linda, Richard, oh, it just goes on, Dirk. It just goes on and on I want to thank you for the way you have helped us end this month I trust Jesus to bring the funds to allow me to preach these messages to you if he's moved in your heart would you write to me National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. Nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. God bless you, my brothers, my sisters. I love you.